Jesus, we want your name to be high and lifted up today. We have come to celebrate you as one that was not given the death penalty because of sin, but rather took upon the death penalty because of our sin. And then you, as the spotless lamb, allowed yourself to receive that punishment that was due us. And then, allowing death to become you so that our penalty is paid for. But Jesus, you then on the third day resurrected, and we celebrate that today because by your resurrection, we now have life. And we can anticipate life eternal because of you, Jesus. So we celebrate you, we exalt your name. And Father God, we declare you as the true and living God and the loving God who put this story into motion when you chose not to destroy creation because of our sin, but rather to redeem it. And so we are the objects of that love and we are grateful. And now I ask that as we go into the word and we read the things that you put upon the heart of Paul uh, that, that shares about the power and the importance of the resurrection, we receive it now from you that we may then in turn give back our praise. So I say this all in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Amen. So I feel extremely, extremely respected this morning because three weeks ago I said to the church that first service was very, very full last year, and if you could opt towards another service, you can We went from 800 in first service last year to 300 or so this year which makes me really concerned about third service because we said that's the one that had the most space. And so uh, we were able to get most everyone in here. We have a few in the, in the lobby, but uh, so I, I, I'm at a loss. I don't know how to encourage the dispersion, but other than to say we're here, right? And we're here to celebrate. And uh, I want to give a unique welcome this morning. I want to tell you that welcome to this gathering of fools. Now, that's not the nicest thing to say, is it? But rather, it is the truth uh, that is found in Scripture, is that according to the world, the story of the cross is foolish. Anybody that would believe the story of a resurrection would be a fool to do so. You might even hear only a fool could believe that there is this Jesus that lived and died 2,000 years ago, and then on the third day, resurrected. I mean, imagine if you have zero church context, where you do not have any of the teachings of Scripture, and you hear that your neighbor is going to a church to celebrate a dead man who's come back alive, they're gonna look at you like you're the strangest thing on this planet. They're gonna think that is foolish to go and celebrate such a story. But yet... Millions around the world are doing so today. We're celebrating that there was a man who came. His name is Jesus Christ. He came, he died, and he resurrected from the dead three days later. Not only are we celebrating him, but most of us here in this room would probably call him our Lord and Savior. In other words, I've given my life to him and I follow his lead. And again, I would say, the world would say, only a fool 
would do that? Who would give their life on a daily basis living under the lordship of someone who died 2,000 years ago and supposedly came back to life? Only a fool would believe that. Additionally, we believe in this Lord that we've never even seen or heard. So this resurrection's based on a story that's been passed down from years and years and years. And then you got this idea that we also anticipate our own resurrection. This is getting really strange. Imagine the world would hear this and just say, so you're gonna resurrect. Well, according to scripture, while we may die, there will come a point in time where Jesus returns and we will be resurrected to join him in the air. That is our anticipation, that we will will spend all of eternity with Jesus Christ as the resurrected one with the resurrected ones. That is our story, and I'm sticking to it. And it sounds very foolish to others, and I can accept that. I can understand, quite frankly, I can understand the woman who is on a morning talk show who claimed that our vice president was mentally ill because he claimed that he was praying and talking to God. To her, this seems strange. This seems like he, only a fool would do such a thing. That's how the world would receive it. Of course, I understand. I get it. Without the context of experiencing the gospel, it is foolish to them. But I'm okay with that. And why is that so? How can I be so sure that this is true? Well, as one person told me, liars make bad martyrs. The reason why that is so is because why would you let yourself be a martyr if you're following after a lie and you know it? Would you allow yourself to be tortured if you knew what you're being tortured about is not the truth? The reality is that there were many witnesses that saw Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave and they gave their lives for it telling that story. And not only did they give their lives for it, they were tortured prior to their death. Many of them watched their own spouses and their children killed before their eyes before they themselves experienced death. If it was a lie, would you do that? Would you let your child, if you knew that you had not seen a resurrected Lord, but that's why you're about to be killed, that's why your children are being killed in front of you, would you hold to that story? No. If one of them had recanted, it would put into doubt the entire story of the apostles, but not one did. And yet they were killed in different places throughout that region. So how is it that 12 would give themselves over to death, torture, even their own families, if it was a lie? It's because they wouldn't give themselves to a lie. It was the truth. And then you've got the tomb issue. I mean, you've got Rome knowing that they've been told by the Jewish leaders that, hey, he predicted that he was gonna come out of that grave on the third day so that his body's not stolen. Would you put a guard around that tomb? Those guards that were around that tomb with the seal of Caesar right there on it, if they failed at their job, their lives would be taken Yet, come the next morning, on that Sunday, Jesus came out of the tomb, and the guards ran for their lives. 
The tomb was empty because Jesus left it. And, and I believe that. And the story holds to that. You find the body of Christ and the Christianity is over. But because Christ is not there and has not been there, even with the search of many back in that day, he, we now know that the story is true. How else can you explain? And then on top of that, why am I willing to stick to the story? Is because my life has been changed too. And why are you here worshiping today? Why are you willing to join a band of fools celebrating a dead man that's come back to life? It's because somewhere along the line, many of you, your lives were changed. That's our story. And if the world's gonna call us a band of fools, then so be it. Let us boast as fools would boast, but boast in Jesus Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles then to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Paul is sharing a story that he knows is being received by many as not being what should they say, mentally stable or normal or orthodox. He knows it's a complete unorthodox story of a resurrection, and yet he says, this is our message. We hear this term, gospel. The term gospel is referring to a story or a message, and in this case, it's a message of good news. And so Paul is sharing very specific and simply what that gospel message is, and here we go. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse one. says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, this message I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I have passed on to you. So I've received the gospel, now I'm passing on the gospel to you as first importance. Here is that gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the third day he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of all the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what we have believed. That's the gospel in its simplest of form that this perfect spotted lamb, now keep in mind that in the Jewish culture, for centuries they have been killing and sacrificing spotted lamb, or uh, perfect lambs, unspotted lambs. And so they're, they're, they're doing that as temporal sacrifices and they needed to do it regularly to, to cover over the sins of, of the past and in, of the future, but they had to keep repeating it. But this spotted lamb was different. Sorry, I said spotted again. Unspotted lamb is different. You at least know your scriptures, right? Uh, that I was wrong. You knew I was wrong, right? So this unspotted lamb was different. Why? Because first of all, he was human. 
He was born of a virgin, born without sin. He did not have the curse of sin that you and I are born with. As much as you might think that you were perfect until age 10, you were not. You were born with sin. We were all under the condemnation of that sin. And, and so for Jesus, he was born without that condemnation. He was born without that sin. He lived also in full obedience to, Jesus, to Father God without any sin so that when he came to that cross, he was truly a spotless lamb of God. He truly was the one that had never committed sin, so he is the first one since Adam to be without sin. But Adam chose to sin, but Jesus did not. So when he goes to the cross and he is sacrificed, this is where it's different. Not only is he human, perfect, dying to a a death penalty that wasn't his, but he also came back to life, and no lamb had ever done that before. See, prior to that, when the lambs were sacrificed, they were done. Their role was over. It was a temporal sacrifice, but this lamb was perfect, and it was human. And not only that, he came back to life. This is important in our understanding of the gospel that because he did that, he paid the penalty of the sin, but it wasn't just just stop there. He wanted to give us life in regards to that penalty being paid for. He wanted you to have life that not only can you then expect an eternity of life, eternal life with God, but then now you can have life even while here on this earth that you can have life anew and become a new creation. That is the gospel message in its purest form and the world may look at that as strange. Strange that a human being, first of all, was perfect. Strange that that human being then chose to put himself on a cross. Strange that that same human being would then not only submit themselves to the cross, but that they would come back from the grave. And it's strange that that human being claims to be the son of God. All of that, again, is foolish to the rest of the world, but to us, it's beautiful because we've received the glory of this incredible moment that had happened on the cross, and that's the message that Paul preaches. And that message is then passed on by those of us who've experienced the glory of that resurrection. So I want us to stay in 1 Corinthians, but turn to the first chapter. So to the left, just a little bit. So Paul is talking again, this is the gospel in its purest form that Christ died for the sins of the world and that on the third day he resurrected and that he appeared as the resurrected one to over 500 people. And then by that message and that testimony, millions have now become followers of Christ. But let's get the description that Paul gives of those millions. Let's look at verse 26 of chapter one. It says, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
So Paul has just given a description of those who in the eyes of the world have become fools to follow after this story, this message. And the description is, is that most of them weren't smart. Most of them were not influential. Most of them were not wealthy. Most of them were not the kind of people that you would expect to lead bands of, of believers into a particular direction. No, most of them were the not likelies. Now, how do you feel about that? When Paul's describing the church as a group of fools that look like, in the eyes of the world, a group of fools that it's like, why would you ever follow after such a story? But yet, because the people in the eyes of the world were this type of people, and then they begin to see that God is using that type of people to change lives, and that God is creating a movement across the world to change lives by that type of people, a band of fools. How else can you explain it except for there must be something behind them? There must be a power beyond them. There must be something significant that must have changed them to cause them to be of that type of ilk. I mean, think about this. What was your story? What were you like when you were growing up? And, and then if you have become a follower of Christ, can you really consider what would you be without Jesus? Where would you be? I mean, we, quite frankly, I, if I was to take this entire church to my hometown. First of all, it would be about the size of my hometown. I, gr I grew up in a town of just a little over 2,000 people, and so we would be a very significant portion of the population there if we all showed up. And if you were to start to ask around, did you ever think that Tony would ever be pastoring a church in Pennsylvania? Well, first of all, they'd be like, pastoring? No. Doesn't matter size of church, no. Now, that's not in his DNA, it's not in his future, not likely. And then if you were to say, well, could you imagine him being in a church that's about as big as his hometown? No, not at all, no way. And then could you imagine that anybody would want to follow Tony Hunt from Phillipsburg, Kansas? And they'd be like, nobody that really knows what they're doing. <laughs> and just proof in the pudding, people did follow my word, they didn't show up to first service today, so... So somebody's listening to me, I can at least say that. So then you got this, this story of the past and you're just thinking, well then how can you reconcile it? If somebody's asked, how did that ever happen to you, Tony? Which by the way, my closest friend that, from my hometown still is bewildered every time we get together with him every year. He's just like, man, I just can't believe what you're doing now. But he knows and his, kid, his daughters who are now getting married, they know, they know that Jesus has changed my life and they hear the stories from their father to know he is a different man. And that is the story, is that God changes lives and he takes people that are unlikely and he begins to use them to impact others. And that's the beautiful thing is that it's because we're not the likely ones that God is seen as the one changing lives, not me not you. God is working through you, and that is obvious and evident to everyone else. You see, it's hard to argue the case of a fool when you can tell that there's proof in the pudding. Now, I can't say that again very well. So anyway, you'll have to just remember that. The point is this. God uses unlikely vessels to show off that it's him. And that's the beautiful thing of our story, is it not? So we are a band of fools in the eyes of the world. 
and we are celebrating what may seem to be a foolish story, but if the world is saying, well, why don't you boast about this? You know, they're boasting about their accomplishments. Why, why don't you boast? And, and Paul says, listen, we're weak. We're insignificant. And yet, the world is taking notice. I mean, after all, it was only gonna be a few years after this that Rome becomes a Christian empire. So they are seeing the world being changed right before their eyes by a band of people that did not have swords, did not have shields, did not have people in the hierarchy of the Roman government, and they're seeing Rome fall to such a people. Amazing. How else can you explain except for that God is working among them? And so if we're going to boast, we boast about the Lord, and if we're gonna boast about the Lord, one of the ways we can boast about the Lord is boasting about how insignificant we are. So let's look in 2 Corinthians real quick to see how Paul boasts about himself. Starting in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, he restates what he says in 1 Corinthians. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now turn to 11, chapter 11, verse 16, and listen to how he boasts. So Paul says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the ways of the world, uh, as the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise, by the way, sarcasm. Paul, there is sarcasm in the Bible, and it's right here. Uh, you know, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise, and in fact, you even put up with anyone who takes advantage of you and puts the airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. In other words, you're not even worthy of a slap. You're not even worthy of our attention. But yet, here's how he's gonna boast. So look at the middle of verse 21. So whatever anyone else does to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he kind of inserts here, I must be out of my mind talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Quite a life, you want it? So, and then I spent a night out on the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and I have toiled and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and do I not feel weak? Who is led into sin and do not I inwardly burn? If I must boast, then I will boast of the things that show off my weakness. Why? Because as he said, if you're gonna boast, boast in the Lord. And if boasting is being required of me to boast about me, then I'm gonna boast about how insignificant, how pathetic, how miserable life can be. But yet, I will stand 
and boast for a risen king. That is the story of Paul. He's saying, I have been changed. I was the one that was even killing people who would worship after somebody like this man, Jesus Christ. I was standing in defense against him, and now I am for him, and I have suffered greatly as a result, and there's no regret. And it was by his experiences that people began to believe that Paul truly was changed. Because keep in mind, he had been killing Christians. And so people did not believe, is Paul really just, really truly a follower of Christ or is he masquerading so he can infiltrate? But when they saw him suffer, when they saw what was going on, then they realized God has changed this man. He was a weak man. He had been beaten down, but they saw the power in his message and as a result, they could see God in his life. So I conclude with this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You'll walk out of this room and if you told people you're worshiping at Easter and what Easter is all about, they may look at you with crossed eyes, wondering why in the world you would give yourself to it because they've not yet experienced the power of God. But if your life has been changed, I can withstand being called a fool. In fact, call me that if you wish. But I am committed to worshiping alongside other fools, a resurrected Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you you chose us. Those of us who have given our lives to you, you've chosen us. And it's not because we came with accolades or certain stripes that you could, that you could claim as, as battle wounds or whatever. Lord, you chose us because you want to manifest your glory. And for people to realize it's not a human thing, it's a God thing. And that you are changing lives every day. Whether we're addicted to alcohol or we're addicted to drugs, whether we are commit, we're totally consumed with sensuality, whatever our vices might be, whatever our sins might be, whatever division we've caused, you have the power to change. And so God, I ask that you will change lives now through the message of the cross because Christ's sacrifice as the spotless lamb is capable of covering over any sin that has walked in this door. And so, God, I ask that you will use the power of Christ to transform lives and that you can use this message that may seem as foolishness to others, but that it may become life to those who believe. To your glory, I pray this. And now, Lord, this was all accomplished because the tomb is empty. You resurrected and therefore gave us power over death. We celebrate that. We find joy in that. And if it seems undignified to the rest of the world or if it seems foolish, then we receive that so that we can glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. So let me conclude with this passage out of 1 Corinthians 15 towards the end of the chapter after I read the first part of it. It says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, 
but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I am one fool willing to declare that today. So as ambassadors of Christ, what the world might consider foolish, the story of the cross, if you know Jesus Christ, then you know it's the power of God to change lives. It has been our prayer, and we've been praying for these services for weeks, that God would change lives as people come here and they hear the gospel. And so if you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ and experience the power of God, if somebody brought you, I'm sure they'd be willing to talk to you and pray with you. But if you are here and you need to pray with somebody, we will have people underneath the tomb over here on my, my left, your right side. And they would be glad to pray with you and, and enter in with you to introduce you to Jesus Christ. So by the power and the grace of God, those of us who are considered weak by the world or maybe not so intelligent, may the power of God be displayed because of your life being changed. To his glory we boast. Amen. You are dismissed. Enjoy this day celebrating.